So read, let's read first of all from God's word and carry out our studies in the book of Haggai the prophet. We're still in the first chapter and we're looking tonight at, at really verses 12 to the end of the chapter, three verses really. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoazdak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. And we find here in the book of Haggai an amazing book. Haggai, we don't know much about him after he'd given his prophecy. He only prophesied for four months. Afterwards, we know nothing about him. But he was an amazing person bringing God's word to a people at a critical time. And just to recap, we know the people of Israel had come back to Jerusalem. They'd come back to their promised land. And they started to build a temple of the Lord, but they had difficulties. And for a time they stopped building it. And then God raised up Haggai the prophet to stir the people again to once more build God's house. And those people there, the problem for once wasn't idolatry. The problem wasn't they had no faith. The problem wasn't even they were too tied up with the neighboring lands. We know in Ezra chapter 4, they deliberately refused help from neighboring lands to rebuild the temple. But the problem was, they become comfortable, complacent, lethargic, and they got so caught up in their own affairs, they forgot to do what they come back to that land for, to rebuild the house of the Lord. And as always in God's word, the Old Testament, there is a power, there is a shadowing for God's people today and in every age, you know, because today we face great challenges in the world in which we live and spiritually we're called upon to rebuild the house of God in our land, that people may come to our house and see God at work once more. And we find great encouragement from these words here. They are very, very relevant. In the book of Revelation, the revelation is given to the church in Laodicea. And the Lord says to them that you are lukewarm. You are neither hot nor cold. I will spew you out of my mouth. But he gives a promise at the end. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And quite often, you know, we use those words evangelistically. and No reason why we shouldn't do. But sometimes we forget those words were given in the Bible not to unbelievers, but to believers who needed God to come into their lives, refresh them, reinvigorate them. You see, our very place here is not a community centre. It's a salvation centre. That here, may, people may find the living God and find Jesus Christ as their all in all. And as God's people today, are we going to be squeezed 
and moulded by the world? Or are we going to be changed from within? Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And now, before the people had returned to the land, but now, in Haggai, the people are returning to the Lord. Oh, Haggai was a wise reprover, and thank goodness, those people had obedient ears. And I believe these words of, of, of God here in the Old Testament, we've read together, they tell us, I believe, four vital things about what we need to do as a people of God today. And notwithstanding that revival is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, I believe we need to have all these things in place as a people of God before revival can truly come. And yes, We've seen droplets revival in recent times. We pray, Lord, give us more. And only when we see a mighty torrent revival in our midst today and every day can we afford to be happy. Four things. First of all, we need to hear and obey God's word. Secondly, because of that, we may know that God is with us. We then need to have our spirits stirred by God's Holy Spirit. And then finally, having done all that, get down to work for the Lord. And you're here, in the verses we shared together, the people are referred to as being the whole remnant of the people. Previously, they're referred to as these people. They are now God's faithful remnant. And God works so gloriously through a remnant. You know, the habit of sifting already, because not all the people who had been exiled came back. Only a small number comparatively came back to Jerusalem. So there is a spiritual call there already. But now they're being called God's remnant of God's people. And we're told here that everyone came together. First of all, there was Zerubbabel. Now, he was actually the grandson of one of the last kings of Judah, before the people were taken into exile. He was a prince. And from him, we know from Matthew's Gospel, the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ came. Zerubbabel is of the house of David. We then find out there is Joshua, the high priest. And then there is a whole remnant of the people. But for Zerubbabel and Joshua, these people haven't just arrived in the land. We learn from Ezra chapter 3 that They've been there all along. And therefore, Joshua and Zerubbabel, they were guilty people. They were guilty men in what had happened. They were guilty in the complacency. But now, God's Spirit stirs them up through Haggai the prophet. And they become changed. So, Zerubbabel gets moving. Joshua gets moving. And surprise, surprise, all the people move behind them. Everyone is together. And Zerubbabel was a leader, but he submitted to be led by Haggai. Joshua was a teacher. He submitted to be taught by Haggai. And they all came together. No one waited. And why? Because 
they obeyed the message of Haggai. And why? We're told here, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. They listened to Haggai because in Haggai they realized that God was speaking through him. Now Acts 10.44 where we're told this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. They obeyed because it was the voice of God. And indeed, John Calvin says these words, For we know that men are not sent by divine authority to speak, that God himself may be silent. The glory of God so shines from his word that we ought to be so much afflicted, affected by it whenever he speaks by his servants as though he were nigh to us face to face. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2 verse 13, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. And so often in Haggai, you find him using the word, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In the Old Testament, you know, we think of Eli as a bit of a duffer. He, you know, his sons ran riot. He was weak, ineffective. He showed no leadership at all to Israel. And yet, Eli was the one who, when Samuel was being spoken to by God, tutored Samuel to listen to what God was saying to him. And Dr. Martin Jones once said, you know, when do you tell a person to become a Christian? He said, when they shut up. There's when they listen to what God is saying to them. And God blessed those people. They'd had no prophecy for a long, long time. But God sent them to him quite soon. Zechariah, very shortly, joined prophesying after Haggai. And we're told this, they really believed in the word of God. And I believe the first thing for God's people today is this. Believe in what God is saying to us. This book does not merely contain the word of God to be judged by men and women. This book is the word of God. And God speaks to us by his word. God speaks to us by his spirit. God speaks to us by his sovereign providence. And like those people in the Old Testament, how we need to be open to the voice of God in all of our lives. It may crowd out the voice of the world. But you see, what was the remedy here in Haggai? It wasn't to call in the business consultants. It wasn't to have an away day with flip charts and felt-tip pens and SWOT analysis. I can find for that no biblical basis or reference other than in two, two kings where people say to Elisha, Oh my Lord, there is death in the pot. Instead, they return to the Lord and trust in him with all their hearts. And because of that, we're told this, they fear the Lord 
because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And fear in the Lord leads to a changed attitude of heart and of mind, leads us to the right worship, wisdom, and renouncing evil. Oh, we need to listen to God speaking to us and to know his voice in all of our lives. But secondly, in a way, that's, that's a precondition for all the rest. Because we listen to the Lord speaking to us, then we're told this, that God is with us. Then Haggai, he given that blunt message previously, he now gives a, an encouraging message. He says, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. Because people listened to God's voice, he was then able to declare to them that he was with them. The old hymn puts it, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And for all who will trust and obey, God is with us. Isaiah said in chapter 43, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east. I will gather you from the west. That was a promising prophecy that one day God would be fully with them in Jerusalem once more. Matthew says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And Matthew also says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, we're God to call us to do things for him. And if our hopes were doubtful, all our zeal would fade away. God's not going to call upon us to do things for him and not give us all the resources. God says, I am with you. I am with you in forgiving all your sins. I am with you in forgiving all your unrighteousness. I am with you in giving you all the help, all the resources you need. I am with you in giving victory over all the enemies. For all comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter, in 2 Peter 1 verse 4, wrote this. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. We live in God's great and precious promises. John Wesley, when he was dying, in the words of historians, he postponed his dying. He wrote a final letter to William Wilberforce to encourage him in the fight against slavery. And he said this, unless God is with you in this, you will be worn out by men and by devils. But if God is with you, who can be against you? Are all of these together greater than God? Go on in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And Wesley's dying words were, the best of it all is that God is with us. Abraham, we're told, went out not knowing where he's going, but as anonymous Welsh preacher once said, 
that Abraham knew who was going with him. And Daniel, in the fiery furnace, in the lion's den, he knew that God was with him. And literally, in the fiery furnace, there was that fourth person appearing, a theophany of the Lord Jesus Christ, there with Daniel in that furnace. And we have a glorious promise here if we realise that God is with us. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 13, here is a promise given to the people. They're about to cross, cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land. And they're given this promise. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. People of God, are we fed up being the tail? God wants us. God will enable us to be the head once more. Thirdly, these words tell us here in verse 14 that obedience to God results in the Spirit of God moving in the spirit of men and women. Oh, how our land, how our church needs to be stirred today. Matthew Henry wrote this, The word of God has its success when God, by his grace, stirs up our spirits to comply with it. And without that grace, we should remain stupid and utterly averse to everything that is good. Richard Sibbs, the great Puritan, said, Just as that which is cold and hard must be brought to the fire for warming. So must the cold heart be brought to the fire of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ to be warmed. Molded by the operation of the Holy Spirit. When we obey God's word, when we know that God is with us, the Holy Spirit stirs up our hearts. We talk about things, medicines being shaken but not stirred, but as people of God... We need to be shaken and stirred. And the promise is this. When we obey the word of God, the Holy Spirit will come upon us and stir up all that we do. You cannot have the spirit without the word or the word without the spirit. If you have the word and no spirit, it's dry and orthodox and and boring. But if you try and get the spirit without the word driving it, then things begin to go terribly wrong. As the hymn puts it, Jesus confirm my heart's desire to work and speak and think for thee. Still let me guard the holy fire and still stir up thy gifts in me. The Holy Spirit stirring us all up continually, vanquishing the spirit of the age because as the Holy Spirit's poured into our lives more and more, the spirit of the age is kicked out and we move in God's way. And finally, what was the result of all of this, and what will be the result if God's people do all this in our generation today? We're told in verses 14 to 15, these, these words. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the spirit of Joshua, and the spirit of the whole remnant, of the whole people. See, again, everyone was stirred up. We've just got the priests of all believers. Everyone's playing a part. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, 
on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. The zeal of the people was the result of this divine initiative in all their lives. What did they do? They'd done nothing for 17 years. What did they do now? They worked quick. Within three weeks, they got to work on the temple, on building it. Everybody did something for the Lord of hosts. They were ashamed of their delay. And all that God and his people today would create that sense of shame of delay in waiting for things, in not moving when the Spirit promised us to do things for him and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the hymn puts it, This is a time, no more delay. This is the Lord's anointed day. Come in this moment at his call and live for him who died for all. We have what's really called the partnership. Man's man's partnership with the divine providence. And Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 to 13, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God working us to act and to will when we are obedient unto him. And you know, as we see how these people of old reacted to what the Lord was saying to them, perhaps were shamed by what they did. Because you know, they were in Haggai and Zechariah. They prophesied the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But like Abraham, they only saw it afar off. All the people we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 They believed in the promise, although themselves were far away from it. They believed and trusted in God. And, you know, Romans says, um, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And if they could exercise faith and belief in God, when the ultimate promise in Jesus Christ was far off, more than 500 years away, how much more should we today exercise faith. How much more should we hear and obey God because we've seen the experience his revelation in Jesus Christ. How much more should we hear and obey God's word? How much more should we know that God is with us? How much more should we let our spirits be spurred by the Holy Spirit? And how much more should we get on with it and get to work for God? Then Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Amen.